everybody. Welcome to episode 85 of Literary Disco, live from the last bookstore. Tonight, we are taking over this gigantic, amazing, independent bookstore in downtown Los Angeles. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me as always, essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel and novelist and critic Todd Goldberg. Woo! Welcome, guys. What's the last book you would ever want to read? And Julia said, well, let's not do that. Let's do the last book you would read on your deathbed. <laughs> so we're, we're going to run with those two things. Do you guys have answers to either one of those? Well, let's do the mean one first. Yeah, right. right. You don't want to start too deep. No. So uh, what's the negative book, the last book you would read ever? Like, you know, it's, it's the last book on Earth and you're still hesitating. It's so hard because it's like you can't know until you've read it how bad it is. I mean, like, I've been shocked by the badness of some of the books we've read, and you can't know until you read them. Well, like, you knew Pillars of the Earth was going to be bad. I did not know that. <laughs> I like cathedrals. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of the cathedral novel. Um... So for me, like, I always go to Twilight immediately, but I did read those. So you read all of them? I read them all. You, like, hate read them. I read them really fast and 100% in a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> but this is also when you were Mormon. What? That's not real. Anything you say, they might believe. <laughs> Just be careful. Not that we have anything against Mormons here. No. So I guess my answer then would be, because of that, and because some teenagers also told me it was terrible, is Stephanie Meyer's <laughs> follow-up book, The Host. Have you guys read it? Yes, several oh, people in the audience have read, read it. it. How, how good is it? Is it good? You liked it. I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> Raise your hand if you read it and you liked it and you're ready to defy me right now. No one. Bunch no. of fucking liars. <laughs> <laughs> that book sold like 90 million copies. Someone in here read it and enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, yeah. So for me, I guess the answer is like a sequel to a book that you already hated. <laughs> because I think it's bad. I think it's bad form to hate a book without even giving it a chance. But if you gave an earlier form of it a chance, right. then you're allowed to hate it. So that's right. my answer. Well, that's a good answer. Um, I think, so when I was a little kid, my mom wrote a book about being a single divorcee on the make. <laughs> Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. And you haven't read it? Um, well, I've read some of it. So it was called oh The Statue God. of Liberty is Cracking Up. And um, this is so disturbing. it came out in 1978. <laughs> and so if you've never listened to the show before, have never met me before, the key thing to know is that my mom was a lunatic. Um, and so what my mom used to do, what she'd like to do, is when she was being crazy and angry, she would run into, or, or move quickly, into our bedrooms and rip out the pages of the book where she spoke kindly about her children and then throw the book at us. So I feel like that would be the last book, uh, like the absolute last thing I'd want to read. So wait, have you never read it? Not all the way through, Can no. Can Ryder and I read it? Can we do an episode about it? We could do an episode. I don't on know. It. Yeah. I feel like this is dark. This is going to bad places. I, it, it might be interesting to do it just to find out. Like, I, I think I have a general outline of the lies that exist inside of the book. But having not... And, the, and then there's the sections I can't read because she ripped them out. Um, See, I really thought yeah. that you would say Moby Dick. I thought no. that was like... Moby Dick was the book that you've lied and said you've read for... 
you know, 30 years, yeah. and that you would just, at this point, you can't, like, even go there. No, I, I intend to go to my death with a lie. <laughs> <laughs> so you have read Moby Dick, is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, okay, I, I fucking love that book. The, so the, my answer if water. To this, this would have been Finnegan's Wake, but then our listeners challenged us to actually read it, and I did finish Finnegan's Wake five pages a day. It was horrible. <laughs> I mean, it was wonderful in its own way, but just the experience was horrible. But th- for me, there's this whole category of book that has gotten so much attention and so many people have read and I'm scared I'm going to hate it right. that it's better to just not have read it. Mm-hmm. So, and I know people are going to, Harry Potter falls in that category for me. I'm really scared what? that I'm not going to like it. I've never read it. But I'm terrified that like, because everybody's read this book and when they find out that you like books or that you read, that's like one of the first things people talk to you about and I miss well, the boat you're so 11. completely. Right, that's not my last favorite. I'm, I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it. Don't worry. I have a son. Well, hold on. I, I'm going to read him Harry Potter. We're probably going to love it. What, what but, person comes up to you and is like, do you like books? And you're like, oh yeah, I like books. And you're like, have you read Harry Potter? People So do many people. Yeah. Are you kidding me? Maybe maybe you don't get this because you're all fancy novelist, right. literary guy. But like when people find out that I read, they're like right. shocked by that. And then it's like, oh, let's talk about you know what you read. And a lot of people have read Harry Potter and they're obsessed with it. You know, it's eight books. It's a big experience. It's also the age we're talking about. You know, I mean, right. it happens less and less. But I would say ten years ago, this was the book that I had to pretend I like. Oh. So I was scared to read it because I knew if I read it, then I'd have to have an opinion on it, and I didn't want to. But you know. now it's past that. You right. don't have to have an opinion anymore. But it's not past that for, for Ayn Rand for me, which I had to look up how to pronounce her name exactly. <laughs> and so Ayn Rand is the la- I, Fountainhead I've owned since I was you know 15 when you buy Fountainhead. Everybody's like, you, you should read this book. This is what smart people read. And I never read it, and now I'm terrified. And I, I, I think if I, if, cause if I have a conversation with somebody who's like a huge Ayn Rand fan, I'm going to be like... Well, are, are you going to be talking to Marco Rubio? <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> You never know. It's just, there are some situations where I find it's easier to not have an opinion and just be like, oh yeah, you like Ayn Rand. Because Ayn Rand is one of those read- those authors that comes up often for people that are not like like constant readers, but who have read, you know, a book every couple of years. They've A lot of them have read Ayn Rand. That's like the sort of go-to, and I don't want to engage in that. Fucking like Scientologists, are you hanging out? <laughs> Does anybody else have this experience? Is Ayn Rand on everybody's bookshelf? No. no. Really? No. No. I know right. what you're talking about. But no. I mean this the theme there's a theme running through what you're saying which is that Ryder is afraid of the zeitgeist. Right. And I you know we've talked about this before but like I take a really opposite tack is the you know if there's something like Harry Potter or the Fountainhead Fountainhead's outdated now but floating around like I'd prefer to read it so that I can be conversant with people. And in a time where people say that, like, nobody reads, which obviously isn't true because you guys are here. Right. But it's good to have a collective thing to talk about that isn't just, I like books. Like, if you could talk about certain books, that's a lot stronger of a literary culture. But see, I'm afraid to read The Fountainhead for a different reason. What if I read The Fountainhead and I'm like, you know what? <laughs> Marco Rubio's got a lot of good points. <laughs> Tell you that Rand Paul. I don't like how he feels about the gays and everything else, but... Everything else he has to say, that's right on. I mean, like, what if you read it and you're like, everything is a lie that I believe in? Maybe I would. I don't know. That's why you should read it. No, I'm happy in this. <laughs> yeah. So let's move to death. Liberal closet. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, so what is, have you guys given this some thoughts since we emailed about it? What I is the last book you would want to read before you die? I definitely went poetry. I was definitely like, oh, it has to be a poem. Like, if it's literally the last thing... 
Because I've actually thought about what you want to want to listen to on your deathbed, like that. that com- but reading, I mean, do you really have energy to read at that point? Yeah, <laughs> audiobook. Oh, right, audiobook. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, for some reason, I realized poetry would be definitely the number one, you know, criteria for me. And then I, uh, I, I guess Walt, uh, Walt Whitman, Leaves of Grass, which is I've said before is you know one of my favorite books of all time. And like, yeah, if I just have one book left to read, that's it. What if you can, like, avoid death by reading Do Not Go Gentle Into That Good Night and then being like, okay, I won't. I'm <laughs> over and over. <laughs> what do you think, Todd? Well, obviously it's the English patient. Um, no, really? No. No, no I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to read the fucking English patient before I die. It's about a guy who's dying and then the Don't give it away. Read. Don't give it away. I've never read it. Lady reads Herodotus, Her- 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 Herodotus, and then Willem Dafoe's there. Don't I've never seen it. I've never read it. Um, you know, I, I, something self-improvement-y, You know, like a, <laughs> the how to extend your life. Yeah. <laughs> the seven, actually, the seven people you meet in heaven. That, <laughs> like, I better. I gotta that's prepare for this shit. That's that a good is answer. Stupid answer. I love it. I think that's smart. Yeah, that's it. That's seven people you meet in heaven. He's, he's, it's like the cliff notes for where you're going. Yeah. For me, I'm interested in this because it's all about mood. It's like, what mood do you want to die in? You know? Right. But fear. <laughs> <laughs> you're not a Jew, is the problem. Jews were like, no, I don't. There's no heaven. There's no hell. There's nothing you need to worry about until right before, and you're like, but what if we were wrong? <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, so that's giving me a new idea. So maybe something scientific, you know, Hmm. maybe some Stephen Hawking might be comforting. Um, Something that puts your life into perspective. But what I immediately thought of was great books about death, like Gilead by Marilyn Robinson or Stoner, where it's about people, you know, like dying, accepting (laughs) the scope of their life. And I feel like that would be great. Yeah, that would be. Well, the, um, the book that we read, Tinker, um, oh, yeah. It was actually was pretty good, similar. Yeah. It starts with somebody on their deathbed having hallucinations and then flashes back not to his life but to his family's life. It's, a, it's actually really... Who wrote that book? Paul Harding. Paul Harding. Uh, As I Lay Dying, another one. As I Lay Death, Dying. Death-centric. That what? one's freaky because your corpse dead. can still have thoughts. I don't like that. I would probably read one of those books of crossword puzzles. <laughs> oh, you know what I would read? Oh, you guys are going to be so jealous of my last book. I would read Mad Libs. I would be doing Mad Libs until the moment I died. Keeping you active. Yeah. Keeping you talking to somebody. <laughs> exactly. Or just choose your own adventure. Or choose your own adventure. <laughs> Forever. Yeah, but then you... Oh, yeah. Choose your own adventure would be bad. Wait. Okay. So how many of you guys, show of hands, have listened to our Choose Your Own Adventure episode? Okay. We did an episode, and we talked very briefly about... Um, there's a Choose Your Own Adventure book. This is just a, a P.S., um, where you can't ever get to the end. It's about a, an alien planet, and I found it in um, Powell's bookstore in Portland. And you can only get to the alien spaceship or whatever if you cheat. Yeah. If you skip into the middle of the book, it's like page 111 of the book is, you did it, you cheated. Yeah. <laughs> so I found it. I have it. A, a book that reveals you to be an asshole, basically. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that's enough death. Uh, are you guys ready to play some games? We have some giveaways. Okay. So let, let me tell you what we have. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Let me tell you what we have to give away here. Um, oh, we have a lot of stuff, actually. 
So one of the things they don't tell you about when you're a writer um, is you get a shit ton of duffel bags. You mean tote bags? Tote bags. So we have tote bags from shit that is really great, like Penn and uh, a book festival I wasn't invited to but stole the bag from. <laughs> the Rancho Mirage Writers Festival. There's a, there's a writers festival like five miles from my house and they've never invited me. No, it's not very nice. Hope they never hear of this. Um, so we have, <laughs> we have four books to give away. We have uh, The Joy of Killing by Harry McLean, um, which, uh, let's see here, Todd Goldberg said is a sophisticated philosophical thriller. It's gothic vibes rooted in the murky soil of human behavior, like a modern day Edgar Allan Poe, dot, dot, dot. So that's a good one. We have uh, Gangsterland by Todd Goldberg. What did Todd Goldberg say about that one? Todd Goldberg said, thank you foreign rights people. <laughs> we have Our Town. A table would have been great. We have, <laughs> we have so Our right Town <laughs> by Kevin McEnroe, um, which is John McEnroe's son. He wrote a, a novel that's been getting great reviews everywhere. And then we have a fourth book, which is also Gangsterland by Todd Goldberg. In order to win these books, we have trials. And you get these bags, too. Yes. We have trials for people to go through. Okay. Which one should we do first? I think we should send somebody on a judging mission okay. yes. first. We need an audience volunteer who has a really good reading voice. And yes, you will be on the podcast. Uh, okay. I, I see Zach Fromson in there. Zach's got a very okay, nice reading voice. Okay, very good. All right. Zach, have you listened to the podcast before? A few episodes. That's such a lie. Only he listened a few. to 10 minutes of one. Ugh. I can tell. This is awkward. All right. So, Zach. Here is your task, okay? You will get a book for this, and you can pick which of the four that you get. Yeah. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to close our eyes, and we're going to count to 25. And in that time, you are going to select a book anywhere in the store that you will read the first paragraph of, and we're going to try to figure out what that book is. <laughs> this is a game called Judging a Book by Its Cover. So okay. don't show us the cover. Yeah, so you don't show don't us let the us cover. Know the so actually grab two books, keep one book inside of the other <laughs> book. <laughs> Find a really big book first. Yeah, that's good advice. Yes, that's, that, or, or if there's another way of hiding a book, like in, that, like in your hat, like in your hand. Zach, do you understand? Okay. All right, so we're going to close our eyes, but we'll keep talking so as to keep the, the entertainment going. All right. We're All gonna right. I'm going to count to 25. All right. One, two, three, close your eyes. All right, our eyes are closed. One, two. You're, you're actually counting it out? Three. Yeah, so if you're actually counting, then how are we also talking? Four. Yeah. You guys are doing it right now. Oh, we're just going to talk Five. over her. Sometimes I feel like when Six. my eyes are closed, no one can see me. Seven. Why are we closing our eyes exactly? So we don't Eight. see what section he... Right. Yeah. Duh. Yeah. Okay, right. okay. Duh. Yeah. Nine. Because if he's in history, then we're like, oh, it's a oh, history book. Oh, it's a history book. book. Yeah. I feel like this has yeah. to do with Eleven. film. Yeah. Right. Are, is, that, is Zach doing good crowd work and showing them what the book is? <laughs> Sometimes 12, I read in the bathroom. 13. 14. Remember you, when you're on that TV show? 15. <laughs> that 16, was a thing. 17. Pepper Dennis? 18. Yeah, exactly. 19. 
20. I feel like Zach is ready and I'm just counting. No, is no, that no. happening? Zach is a very slow mover. He's like a slob. 21. 22. I feel like cheating. I really can't keep Don't my eyes cheat. this long. 23. I, the last time my eyes were closed this long, I, I literally was asleep. Are you guys thinking about how good of a podcast this is going to be? They, they say there's nothing better than a podcast where two pe- three people have their eyes closed and, <laughs> and, one, and one person's counting. 24. When Mark Maron was choosing, or when Obama was choosing what podcast to go on, I was like, oh, I could do Mark Maron. Or is there one where people close their eyes and talk? <laughs> 25. Zach, are you ready? Yes, I am. All right. Okay. Is, is the book hidden? Oh, he's got a mic. All right. Don't look at him. Don't look at the oh. book. Keep our eyes closed. We should just keep our eyes closed. No, I'm going to keep my eyes. I'm to just going to look away. Yeah, look away. Don't, look at, don't look at him. Choose an audience member to look at awkwardly that you yeah. don't know. <laughs> oh, actually, you know what? Before, we actually had someone win something earlier tonight that I forgot about. So we did a contest online um, for someone to win a copy of Mark Haskell Smith's book, Naked at Lunch. And we put it out there for people to tell us stories about embarrassing things that happened to them when they were naked. And the first person who responded online was so clearly the winner that we literally stopped promoting the contest. What was it? I, I missed it. Uh, Laura, where are you? Oh, there, there she is. Laura, did, did you want to tell us the horrible thing that happened to you when you were naked? Come on up here. C- come on up here real quick. So this is Laura. Laura is a poet. I love the show. Thank you. Can I, can I just say it the way I tweeted it? Yes. yes. So, sometimes as a woman, your Aunt Flo visits you unexpectedly, like when you are the, the model in a figure drawing class. <laughs> You're a winner. Yeah, that's... Like, yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Okay, guys, I think Zach's ready, and I'm afraid to look at him because right. I don't want to. Yeah, cheat. we're not looking at Zach, we're looking straight ahead. All, All right, right, Zach, go ahead. Go for it. Howard Rourke laughed. He stood naked at the edge of a cliff. The lake lay far below him. A frozen explosion of granite burst in flight to the sky over motionless water. The water seemed immovable, the stone flowing. The stone had the stillness of one brief moment in battle when thrust meets thrust, and the currents are held in a pause more dynamic than motion. The stone glowed, wet with sun rays. What? Okay. Wow. wow. What was the name, the first word? Yeah. Was a name? Howard Rourke. I know the answer. Howard Rourke. You, do you know actually I, know who this is? What I, this I know is? What Don't this say is. it. Don't say it. Okay. You know what this book is? That's pretty good. I do. How many people know what this book is? Oh. Oh, he showed you. Oh. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, I love that you still raised your hands like you were proud of well, that actually, fact. You know what? Maybe I don't know what this book is. Howard Rourke? I like how Zach selected a book that's going to fit with our nudity theme. Well, okay, so... Wait, why do you say that? Because the guy's naked. The guy's naked. R- re- read the first sentence again. Howard Rourke laughed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, can you read the last sentence again? Can we just say, Zach does have a, a beautiful Zach has voice. A lovely it's voice. The, the, the timber, it's, it's just amazing. wonderful. Can you read the last sentence again? So that the world seemed suspended in space. Oh, wait, sorry, that's the second paragraph. Uh, the stone glowed <laughs> wet like with sun rays. Zach isn't using his actual voice, he's using a theatrical like a readerly voice. voice. Yeah. Like well, Neil Diamond. Okay, so the stone glowed. Wet with sun rays. Okay. Okay. So it's... I, I believe I know the answer. Um, but just in case it's not, I believe it was written post-World War II. 
Um, uh huh. Yeah, definitely Hiroshima overtones. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's like a, a wasteland landscape. Hiroshima overtones. Yeah, it's sure. Like the, it's the worst foundation makeup ever. Hiroshima <laughs> overtones. Did you just mean like it's contemporary? Like it's post World War II. It could be written a week ago, or you're saying it's somewhere just post-World War II era? Uh, I believe it's like 1952. That sounds right to me, too, but I'm not sure why. I I kind of feel it's maybe a little Ray Bradbury-ish. I'm definitely getting a fantasy vibe, like a fantasy slash sci-fi slash post-apocalyptic. Okay, we're very wrong. We're so wrong. Okay, let's focus on the audience. Okay. I I believe there is an architect in this book. Oh my god, is this Pillars of the Fucking Earth? No, it is not. <laughs> That's what I was waiting for. Is it the sequel? Pillars of the Earth 2, The Reckoning. <laughs> so wait, Todd, you recognize the name Howard Rourke? Well, it's oh, either, that's pretty good. It's either a character from Fantasy Island or it's an iconic character of American literature that has been talked about all of our lives in a book none of us have read. That's it? Is that it? Is that, the right, is that the right answer? Everybody How many people have yes. read this book? Oh, Ooh, a lot. I believe it is the Fountainhead. Oh! Yes! Well played. Very now I good, have to have Zach. an opinion on the Fountainhead. Select your book. Zach, you have a choice of Our Town by Kevin McEnroe, uh, The Joy of Killing, um, or a second copy, because I'm sure you already have one, of <laughs> Gangsterland by Todd Goldberg, and your choice of a bag from Penn or a bag from uh, the Ranch Mirage Riders Festival, who don't believe I'm a good enough writer to be invited. <laughs> uh, I believe I'll go with the Kevin McEnroe book and the Penn tote bag. All right. Okay, while you're arranging that, I have some questions about how you so quickly identified the Fountainhead, which you claim to have never read. Okay, moving on. It doesn't mean I, I don't. Like, y- even if you've never read The Great Gatsby, you know that one of the characters' name is Gatsby. <laughs> <laughs> Have you read The Fountainhead? No. Yeah. Wait, Todd, you've never read it? and you No, it? I've never read it, but I know Howard Rourke is the, uh, is the architect. He's the main character. Uh, Todd is adept at lying about books that he's read. Right. I'm sure I've said I've read that book. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go on to giving the rest of these away, and this is going to be a much quicker experience. So... How many people would like to win a book today? Okay, good. All right, we are making up a new game that can only be played live. Yes. And what are we calling it again, Todd? The least friends. Who <laughs> amongst you has the least friends? Or the most well-read. Or the or most, the most, or the most well-read. well-read. So what we're going to do is we are going to have anyone who wants, we're going to do this three rounds to account for different reading styles and how much you like us. Um, so we're going to have you stand up if you would like to play. So stand up if you want to read a book. If right, you want a free, win a book. If you want a free book. So everyone needs to stand up. Some Rise. Pe- some people might not want Rise, to. Rise, Lazarus. Okay. Right. So I have recently learned that Ryder and Todd don't know what the board game Guess Who is. But if you do know what it is, you will understand this game. If not, I will explain it to you. We're going to read a book. We're basically going to eliminate... Uh, people, uh, if you have not read the book that I say, you have to sit down, and then the last person standing will be the most well-read, and therefore you will win a book. Or have the least friends. Or have the least friends. (laughs) We're really mean today. Okay, well, guess what, everybody? The first 
category we'll do is classics. And we have already mentioned books from all three of my lists already. <laughs> so we're starting with The Great Gatsby. If you have never read The Great Gatsby, be honest and sit down. Very good. No. Very oh, good. No one. Okay. Liar. All right. Who, who's Wolfsham? <laughs> who's he? He's Myrtle's husband. Who is? All right, very well. All right. <laughs> no, no. You have glasses. You're disqualified. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. If you have never read it, sit down. Oh. <gasps> My own college roommate. It's awkward. All right. Number three, Emma by Jane Austen. If you've never oh. read it. Oh, my oh. God. Oh, that was a big eliminator. Wow. That's surprising. Wow. Okay. We now started? we're going to get real. Oh, Todd, your wife, Wendy, is doing really well. Oh, good. She's very well read. Uh, uh, next. It's about to get real, guys. Moby Dick. If you've never read it. Oh. Oh, oh my God. Oh. We have three still standing. Amazing. Oh, and there's the folks in the back oh, okay. there. Okay. All Wait, right. are they just watching? I can't tell it's what they're doing. <laughs> if you move to the side, you're still standing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we have four people left, I think. All right. All right. Middle March. Middle March. <gasps> oh. Down to two. Down to two. Wow. Okay. Wow, novelist Steph Cha, one of the people who might win a book here, ladies and gentlemen. And what is your name? Lisa. Lisa. Okay. okay, you Lisa guys and are Steph going mano y mano. incredibly well read. I, this might take both of you out. In which case, we'll have a tiebreaker. Yes. Finnegan's Wake. <gasps> oh, okay. Oh. You what? That's Parts good enough. Good enough. Come you on. win. Yeah. All right. All right. Lisa, come on up. Select your prize. Would you like Todd Goldberg's Gangsterland, The Joy of Killing, or Todd Goldberg's Gangsterland? Oh, she's going to read the backs. Okay. <laughs> While she's doing that, round two. Okay, everybody who wants to win, stand up again. All right, this one is going to include more of you for longer. Who has ever... <laughs> that, if was, you that was one of the five worst experiences of my <laughs> life. She did the Sophie's Choice on my book. <laughs> she picked it, though. She did she pick it, though. It. That was nice, yeah. okay. Okay. All right, All right. Uh, if you have never read a Choose Your Own Adventure book, sit down. Oh, oh wow. wow. Oh. Okay. Okay, <laughs> if you have never read Sweet Valley number one, sit down. Oh, oh lots wow. of still standing. Okay. A lot of Sweet Valley people here. Okay. A Hardy Boys book, any Hardy Boys book. If you have never oh. read a Hardy Boys book, sit down. Wow. They're really pretty good. They're not good. They're not great. They're not great. They're all. fine. They're horrible. They're fun. Okay, getting real. Flowers in the Attic. If you've never read it, sit down. All right. Oh, wow. So what we have here is some fucked up childhoods, right? Yeah. <laughs> How old were you when you read Flowers in the Attic? How old were you? Ooh. Oh. Are you okay? Scarred. <laughs> you all right? Scarred. How old were you? Okay. How old were you, Yenny? Twelve. Oh. Wow. 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 Therapy. You know, that, it, it's it, a real thing. It saved me and it helped, it helped a lot of things for me. Yeah. 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 Okay. You four. Um, we have a twist here. This is for fans of the show. It's about to get a lot darker. If you have never read A Girl Next Door, have a seat. The Girl Next the Door. Girl the next Girl door. Next Door. Okay, oh. you guys have to stand back up and stand eliminate everyone. <laughs> the, girl, uh, the Girl Next Door is a dark and twisted 
It's the worst book I've ever it's read. It's terrifying. the most, yeah. It's not, it's just horrifying. Okay, so we need some kind of eliminator. I think personal trivia. Personal trivia. So, okay. uh, Ryder, um, a trivia question about yourself from something in your life. Oh, I have to produce a question? I, or, I, <laughs> or I can do it. Yeah, you, right. I don't. Uh, I am thinking of uh, my first car. Oldsmobile. Mustang. Oh. <laughs> you thought I was a lot cooler than I was. <laughs> Ford Taurus. <laughs> Antoine uh, did not have the same car, but he saw the license plate. Okay, this question sucks. No, no. <laughs> There's someone close. Jenny, do you have an answer? The car was a Nissan Sentra. Okay. I believe in the pantheon of shitty cars. I believe it's the Toyota that's the close, or the Taurus is a pretty bad car. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, I I don't know how to. This is I, so not objective in any way. I believe the Taurus is the winner, ladies and gentlemen. Yay! Come on up and select your book. <laughs> okay. Oh we God, have a final round. You have one of these two. These, this oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's my friend Ebony, and she's awesome. Wow. Okay. All right, guys, are you ready for our final book giveaway round? This is your last chance. And this is only for super fans of the show. Well, it'll reveal that. So if you want a chance to win a book, stand up one more time. Twist, it's, it's Gangsterland by Todd Goldberg. <laughs> All right. The Thanks, first Ebony. one, if you have not read The Pillars of the Earth, sit down. Oh, <gasps> uh, oh, oh wow. Big eliminator. D Big you eliminator. you know each other? You two? No, but do you two know each other? You three? You guys, you guys have, are really well read. You guys have really shared shitty taste. <laughs> okay, next. <laughs> Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk. If you have not read it, sit down. Oh, <gasps> okay, stand it. back up, stand back up. How about Treasure Island by Sarah Levine, not the classic? Oh, oh wow. Damn it. Stand up. It's almost personal trivia time. Oh, God, please, no, guys. No more personal trivia. Okay. How about Black Hole? Oh, my God. Wow. No one reads the books we talk about. I'm thinking of Julia's First Kiss. You three stand back up. It's a first name. First name. First name of the man that Julia kissed for the first time. <laughs> My wife is here. <laughs> and Julia's husband, too. <laughs> you. What's your guess? Ben. Robert. Mm. All right. Well, the name was Steve, which is closest in the alphabet to Todd. So you win the last book. Woo. So that's it for games. You get a fancy bag. Thank you guys for doing that with us and teaching Todd and Ryder what guess who is. <laughs> uh, they Never thought they made game. up this amazing game. You guys have the least friends. Yeah. All right. And you guys are really well read. So thank you guys for reading all those books, especially the classics. I was impressed. Yeah. Well, look, there look. were more classics, people standing on the classics, than the kids' books or the yeah. randoms. Yeah. That's impressive. Good for you guys. Very well yeah. read audience. Well, let's uh, let's talk about some new books and bring up a big time famous author to help us. Let's Ladies do it. and gentlemen, Mark Haskell Smith. 
If you're not familiar with Mark Haskell Smith, he is the author most recently of this excellent book, Naked at Lunch, um, A Reluctant Nudist Adventures in the Clothing Optional World. If you're curious as to what that looked like, I recommend looking at the cover of the book where you can just barely make out Mark's cock shadow. <laughs> yes. It's a 13-inch screen. So, uh, make that clear. Uh, this is Mark's uh, sixth book? Seventh. Seventh book. His second nonfiction book after Heart of Dankness, um, which is when he went around the world trying to find out the, uh, the truth of the, what the best weed in the world is. Um, and also five novels, most recently uh, baked. Um, raw, raw, raw. Jesus Love Christ! Story. I know you, you lose track. I mean, I'm losing track. Um, so Mark has done a little bit of everything, um, but today we're going to talk about uh, Naked at Lunch, his most recent book, um, because he did the thing that um, I think the three of us are pretty clear that we could never do, um, which is I be would naked. Do this. You would do this? Yeah. You would you would go naked places? Yeah, sure. I'm a never nude. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, this is what Mark did. It's not about me. I just don't want you to speak for me. Can I ask you all a personal question? Mark and I have discussed this at some length. When you go into a, a, a sauna, do you all go in in the nude? Yes. That's how you have to go. <laughs> you're, in, you're a never nude, man. It's, that's it's, it's, that's, it. that's it's crazy. Like you, do you know how many naked people have sat where you're sitting? You, you put a towel down, Todd. It's oh, yeah. It's, it's towels, like armor. <laughs> Hotel towels. Super clean. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I'm going to sit on something someone else's ass is set. Anyway, uh, so Mark went around the world. He did a bunch of stuff. <laughs> what, what gave you the idea initially to, to take on this adventure, Mark? Uh, well, you know, I sort of fell into it accidentally. Um, since there's a lot of writers here, I can... Uh, so. I spent about six months working on a, a nonfiction proposal uh, to write a book about all this food that's going extinct around the world, and I, I like hooked up with the slow food people in Italy, and I did all this work. And uh, anyway, and then uh, and then my publisher was like, "Yeah, we don't want to do that." <laughs> and uh, and then I so I took it to another publisher, and they're like, "Yeah, we just did Tomato Land, and that that tank, so no." <laughs> and so I went back to my to Grove, who publishes my novels, and, and they said, what else you got? And I, I had really written just an idea. My, my editor later said I had, it was 300 words. Um, just like, yeah, I'll be naked, I'll go to these naked places, and I'll do the history of nudism. And so I just sent it to them, and then the next day my agent called and said, uh, I got an offer, what is this? <laughs> and, uh, and so then, so it's one of these things like, be careful what you pitch. You yeah, I was gonna say, at that point, where you like, oh shit, now I, I have to I actually. Was. Do this. Well, nothing gets you over your fears of being naked in public than like a book contract. Right. Because you'd like, well, I'm not going to give the money back. I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> Had you ever been to a nudist experience? Or no. 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 I skinny dipped in high school, you know, like, like everyone. Mm -hmm. Right. Never skinny dipped in high school. Well, like everyone in Kansas did. You had to know. jump in a fucking golf cart course pond in Palm Springs in the nude. Be like, yeah. Get typhus. <laughs> Yeah, or all those chemicals. The chemical yeah. runoff would, yeah, yeah. I would kill I you. Need, I don't need that. Yeah. So, so how long between pitching it and saying, all right, I got I to gotta actually be nude, was it? Uh, well, I just, you know, it was like, you know, I had a deadline, so I just was like, go. So then it was like, try to find a nudist resort that would take a, a single man because they like couples. 
And my wife uh, was very clear. I was like, come on, let's go, honey. It'll be great. And she was just like, fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, but anyway, I, yeah, so I went pretty fast. And I think I had dinner with you and Wendy, yep. right? Because I was in Palm Springs, right? Right after my first traumatic experience. Yeah, we, we went to dinner and you showed up and I was like, so what's it like? And you were like, turns out you can, in fact, put too much suntan lotion on your deck. Yeah. <laughs> You can make it really shiny. <laughs> like, like a, as I say in the book, like a Shang Dynasty artifact. <laughs> so so in, in your first moment, so <laughs> you're sitting there, you're at this nude resort in Palm Springs, and you know that you're going to have to recollect all of this in the book. So you have your writer hat on, you have your perception hat on. Is that the shield to make you comfortable at the time, or... It, were you just saying, I'm going to be open to this weird experience? No, you just be. I was just open to the weird experience. I mean, I'm cataloging everything, and, and I would do stuff, and then particularly later when I was in weirder places, like in France, and I would go back to my apartment and just, like, write, just download everything I saw. But I carried a little moleskin with me in my tote bag. Mm. You just carry a little tote bag with your wallet and your towel that you sit on. And <laughs> that's all. Um, but, yeah, you're, you just you have to be open to it because... I mean, for a book like this, or I think for immersive journalism to be kind of successful, you have to let weird stuff happen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to be open to it. And so I just tried to be, I mean, to a certain degree, I was open to whatever weird thing came my way. <laughs> there was one couple who were like, come on, we're having wine. Come join us. And I'm just like, no, no, <laughs> I'm running now. <laughs> so what was... There's a, a part in the book that I, I loved, which is when you're, you're surrounded by all these naked people and it's not until a woman leaves that you essentially realize that she was attractive. Um, okay. <laughs> is, is there just a cognitive change that's happening to you in, in these situations? I mean, is it, like, I can objectively look out in the audience and see that no one is better looking than Ryder. Like, I see that, you know? It's pretty undeniable. Right. That, yeah. <laughs> So is it, is it, it, was it a dawning for you? What, what was that, that process for you like? Well, yeah, that was, that was in Austria where there were 19 people from all over Europe and me, and we hiked through the Alps. We all lived together in this hut. They call it a hut, but it's like 10 room, 10 bedrooms, six bathrooms, really kind of nice hut. Um, and we go hiking every day and everyone was naked and a lot of the people were naked while they were cooking dinner. Like, if you want to, like, watch someone make tempura vegetables <laughs> without any clothes on, I'm like, don't you want to put on an apron, man? You can, there's, like, Hot no, oil. Mark, it's okay. Um, so, yeah, and so I was talking to, and I shared a room with this sound engineer from, from Brussels, and the last day, this wo Italian woman who had been hiking with us the whole time, she's, and she's been doing yoga nude on the lawn, she's been, you know, every naked all the time, and then she comes out and she's put on a really cute dress and her hair is done and 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 this guy Harry goes, oh my god, Maria is really cute. <laughs> <laughs> I looked at her, I was like, yeah, how, well, how did that happen? I just saw her doing down dog this morning and I, I, didn't, I didn't think that for a second, but now I'm like, hey. And I mean, I, I don't want to belabor the point, but there's, a, there's an interesting thing that happens when, uh, and there's an Italian philosopher named Marco Perniolo who talked about it, what's called the erotic transit. Like when you're fully dressed, 
You're not, there's no eroticism there. And when you're fully naked, there's no eroticism there. So it's the transit between the two states mm. where the erotic imagination is sparked. Um, and it, it really is true. If you, you, know, you see Doris Day in Rock Hudson's man's shirt, that was like her hottest moment, right? And um, that's a really, that's like my grandpa, the father <laughs> made that analogy, but I don't know why that just came to my head, but I'm yeah. like, um, but yeah, I mean, it's this thing, and it's so that, I sort of explore that a little bit in the book, and, and because of sexuality and, and stuff is also part of a, the problem that nudists have to deal with, because they get persecuted for, mm. people suspect they're all having orgies, and they're not having orgies. Um, but, uh, yeah. There's okay. also a really interesting um, passage towards the beginning about skin, and your opinions on skin, and how it's the most interesting organ. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, because just in a scientific or medical way, I was just fascinated by that idea. Yeah, I mean, skin is, uh, it, it's actually the reason we evolved. Um, mm -hmm. it, allowed, uh, it allowed humans to live in, in uh, hot climates without clothes. We would, could sweat, and animals don't. And it allowed, they, scientists and anthropologists think that we engaged in something called persistence hunting, which is basically you you annoy a furry animal on a hot day and you chase it around till it has a stroke and then you eat it. Um, and the human race. And that's how we evolved. And then Doris Day shows up wearing Rock Hudson shirt. You're like, I gotta fuck that. Right. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and you know, you get a taste of that when you're like, particularly hiking in the Alps when everyone's naked. You're climbing, it's, it's a little bit cool out, but you don't get hot and you don't sweat because your skin is like this amazing thermostat that adjusts everything. I, I mean, you know, Mary Roach should write a book on skin. I would read that book. Yeah, awesome. So I don't know if you know this, uh, but Ryder also went on a very uncomfortable cruise once. Oh <laughs> <laughs> Love this story. I do. So you went on a nude cruise, and you, you brought your wife Diana with you, and she, uh, she did not sign up to write a book about no. being nude. Um, Cruises are awful. Like, we can agree on that, like, objectively, right? The cruises are a horrible yes. thing. You get on a ship that takes you to a third world country. You get off, and you're like, oh, my God, I've been eating baked Alaska for five days at sea, and now I'm faced with the reality of the world. I need to get back on this ship. And then there's... It's lobster night. Yeah, you got to get back on the ship. So that's horrible. Um, Ryder went on a, a cruise <laughs> once where it was a teen idol cruise. Oh. He's so mad at I can't believe right you're I've already <laughs> told this story on an episode well, of Literary I'm, I'm Disco. Saying, I don't need to. I'm just saying that there is something more uncomfortable than that. Yes. The fact that there is something worse right. than... Right. It was a charity event. It wasn't like <laughs> just exclusively for teen idols. This is what it makes it sound like. <laughs> the idea was that rich kids' parents would pay for them to go on a cruise with their favorite people from teen magazines. <laughs> and I got roped into it being told, like, this is for charity. And, and you're like, okay, I guess I'll get a free cruise with my family. And then you get on a boat and you realize you're stuck on a boat with, like, 400 fans. And then every night they make you dance. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Every, my brother is here who also went through oh, this horrific experience. I, I feel like was on the t was oh, yes. Was oh, yes. Oh, yes. And they, oh. you know, we were the strong brothers and they made us, like... Yeah, it, it was one of these things where they had hired people to, like, entertain, you know, so it was like a constant bar right. mitzvah experience where it's like, everybody put your hands together, and like, oh, and, you know, who's born in this month? Hey, yeah. It was like what it we did. Horrible. Yeah. 
It was horrible, and 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 we were constantly on stage, and it, it was awful. But but anyway. yeah, there's so much. There's a lot of good anti-Cruz literature out there, including, of course, David Foster Wallace. Right. A supposedly fun thing I'd never do again. And so, yeah, Mark, you fit right into that category. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, I'd never been on a cruise before. I'd never even been on a ship of that size before. And uh, and it's it's basically, if you took if you took the Beverly Center and, like, <laughs> put it on the water, basically, <laughs> and stuck a hotel on top of it, that's kind of what it's like. And like, the entire ship was naked. They're nude. Yeah, the entire yeah. Except for the crew. The crew. The, the thank crew. God. That's so weird. So there's a crew walking around. Yeah. But that, does that make it? Does that change anything? Or well, I think they're more comfortable. That, I mean, <laughs> it was a Holland American cruise ship, so it's kind of a fancy ship. And uh, and yeah, there was two thousand naked people on it. You know, so you're standing in the omelet line at breakfast and. Everyone's naked. And can you choose to wear clothes in a situation yeah, like that? Yeah, okay, okay. okay. Yeah. It's, not, it's not the camps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, if they would be like, oh, you should really like stick to the theme of the cruise, right. or if somebody wore clothes the entire time, like if they would be an outcast socially. No, nudists are like super friendly about stuff like that. They really right. want everyone to be comfortable. Mm. And uh, well, can so. you ha through this whole experience, were you able to boil down to like one common? thread to like what defines a nudist or what is there something cultural or personal that you recurred that you were like oh that's a personality trait or that's a type of person who mm. is attracted to this camp yeah no, no it's kind of rich right i mean they're rebels to a certain degree and but uh, for a lot of people um it's about uh, body acceptance right so like we live in you know if, if you think about like where you see people naked it's you're watching a movie or mm -hmm. you're looking at a model in a magazine or something so that's not how normal people look. And people start to feel imperfect and maybe diminished about how they, they feel bad about themselves, right? And so you get into a place where everyone else is naked and suddenly you start feeling a little better about yourself. Like, <laughs> hey, we all, we all look pretty shitty, all right, yeah. And, um, and for a lot of people that's really profound, this kind of like body, being friends with your body and not being a, ashamed, you know, and, and actually breaking that kind of cycle of shame that they use, particularly to keep women down in, uh, in our society. So that sounds cool. awesome. I would still do it. Yeah, it's fun. It feels good to swim. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I, I wear a body glove wetsuit in the shower. <laughs> That's not true. I hope not. No, no, no. I mean, I, I take the top down to wash. <laughs> I, I don't... I, I guess it, it... I mean, what I, what I gleaned from reading the book, obviously, is, is that... You know, you you didn't become a nudist afterwards, but you you've always been fascinated in subcultures and everything that you've written about. You've right. written about subcultures, and here's a subculture that is is ostracized because of the thing that we think it is, which is we think everyone is just having free love, which you know, it's not as common as it would seem. Um, but also because of our own problems that we have wrapped up in our own images. But I, I think that's you know that's sort of a profound thing to land on that it's a subculture that if we all had the choice maybe we would take it if we didn't have you know if we weren't sitting here with people staring at our junk right yeah all the fears and anxieties are in our your head they're in your own head i mean so last weekend i went to the de anza nudist resort uh outside of san diego because it was the western naturist gathering and i was the headliner 
And so I gave a talk and a Q&A where, you know, when you're like supposed to imagine the audience naked so you're not <laughs> nervous. You're actually looking at everybody You're naked. actually looking at a bunch, uh, like awesome. 50 naked people. And then and I wasn't going to be like some punk and wear clothes. So then I was like, <laughs> so yeah, so, uh, so I did that. That's something I did. You're literally describing half the people in this room like a nightmare they had. Right. <laughs> where they were naked and had to give a lecture. Yeah. Well, you, you posted a photo of you doing a book signing, and there's a man, you're sitting behind the table, and I should note that Mark's book will be for sale after this, as well as my book, and uh, the book we're going to talk about here in a second, Megan Tiffs, and Mark will be happy to sign copies for you. Um, but you're sitting at a table, you're nude, there's a guy standing in front of you, he's nude, there's a woman standing next to him, she's nude, and you're just signing the book, you know, best wishes, good luck on your piercing or whatever. Right. Hope I that mean, infection clears up. Like, I, I don't know what to sign in a book normally when a stranger walks up. I really don't know what to sign in a book when their penis is in front of me. Yeah. You do the same thing. Yeah. Best wishes. How do you spell that? <laughs> yeah. What do you call that? Yeah. <laughs> Todd, so, it sounds like you have a lot of fear and that you need to do this. Yeah, I, I think this is a, a thing for you. You should go. No, no. Mark and I are doing a book together. Yeah, we're going to mime school together. In France. That would be great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean mime. <laughs> I, I can't stop fucking talking, and, uh, and Mark's a journalist. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to uh, the long fire. <laughs> we thought it was funny when we came up with it. <laughs> so the tradition on literary disco is that whenever we have an author on the show, we ask them to suggest a book for us to read, and... Um, Mark, you picked this one, which hasn't been released yet. So, how did you hear about this, or how how did you know about it? Oh, uh, I know the uh, I know the people at the Unnamed Press, and um, they had told me about this book, and it just sounded like an amazing book, and and I knew it's a brand new book, and I also like the idea of like if you're going to introduce uh, a book to people, like let's let's pick a, a small press and someone it's their first novel. Totally. And, you know, like Definitely. Sarah Levine's book was her first novel, and was yeah. Europa is a kind of small press. And yeah. So Mark picked the probably the most one of the most successful literary disco episodes ever was when he forced us to read Treasure Island by Sarah Levine, which is an amazing book if you haven't read it. But also, uh, it, it, it divides people, actually. I, I've had conversations. I ended up introducing it to my book club, my non-literary disco book club. And there were people that couldn't stand it. Um, <laughs> but it's a great book. It's, and uh, so this, The Long Fire is uh, about a woman uh, named Natalie who, I guess, suffers from pica or mm -hmm. pica. Have, Has have anybody heard of heard pica? Of yeah, okay, a couple people. So pica is a disorder where you eat non-food items, where you decide to swallow everything. In this, in this book, it's books mostly that she likes to eat. So she reads a page, rips it out, and eats it. Um, so that's the character that you start with, and it's written from her perspective. It's the first person, and she um, starts to sort of learn things about her past. Her mother has died two months before the book starts in a fire, and uh, her mother was this sort of interesting pretty abusive gypsy uh, in the literal sense. She came from a group of gypsies on the edge of town. And uh, she starts to get clues that her, uh, her family history is not all that it's cracked up to be. And so the book is mostly within the course of a couple weeks right. as Natalie's life unravels. Somebody who eats pike, who suffers from pica, her life unravels even further. Um, in addition to, to suffering from pica, she also works for a weatherman. So she's the assistant bad. to a, a, a small town weatherman. So like, you know, if Dallas rains, we're in a small town. Or 
What's his name that? is Salt Pfeiffer, Salt which is Pfeiffer. great. <laughs> Such a weatherman name. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, this book has a lot going on. If you guys haven't picked it up already, I mean, I kind of, I, I really like this book, and part of what I liked it is just how balls to the wall it is with all the stuff it has going on. We've got Pika, she's eating all kinds of stuff. We have gypsies, we have weathermen, and she has this really strong, sarcastic female voice, and I feel like any of these singular elements someone would pitch a book on, but this is just a crazy mismatch, and it's also a mystery, essentially, right. of her trying to discover you know what's going on with their family and i just i loved how how megan tip just packed all of that in right away i mean it really starts you know right in the middle of the story and she just gets going with this crazy character and you know actually before we talk about the book there, there's one thing we should mention that is interesting and some of you may have seen it um and mark actually pointed out to me initially so megan tiff the author and are we pronouncing her last name correct is it tift yeah. Um, she wrote an essay in The Atlantic that came out uh, on Monday of last week, I think it was, where she basically said, I became a writer because I'm an introvert. I don't want to live in a social world. And her, her editor was told by her that she didn't want to do events, and so her editor said, you need to write an essay about that. And it's a fascinating essay about you know, wh what it means to be a writer and what it has become, which means she would probably hate the fact that a podcast with a bunch of jokers on it is, <laughs> is talking about picking her, her book, book apart. Picking her book apart in public. But it, it's, it's a fascinating take, and I'm sort of curious, Mark, um, what your thoughts about that were also, but what, what you really liked best about the book, too. Um, well, yeah, the Atlant I, I encourage all of you to read the essay in The Atlantic because it really... She's not negative about it. She's like, I'm glad you guys like it. I just don't want to be judged because I'm not a cheerleader. I mean, mm -hmm. she's probably mm -hmm. happy that we're talking about her book because yeah. she doesn't have to be here. Right. Right. Um, but she really goes even further. It's like, w you know, why are we judging literature on like the, the bubbly social media personality of the writer instead of the writing itself? And, right. and um, so it's really a good, great essay. Um, but for the book, the thing I liked about it the, the most is it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Motherless Brooklyn by That's Jonathan exactly Nathan. what I yeah. thought of. This yeah. is like the, the female response to that, yeah. that book. And, and it's, it's, but the, the protagonist is so compelling and so interesting. And it's like an, an amateur, she's like an amateur sleuth in a way. She, mm -hmm. But unlike, unlike your traditional mystery where they'll find a body and then figure out who it is and the body's a clue, she comes across a couple of bodies in the course of this book and goes, oh, well, that's not my brother, and moves on. And you never know. It's never resolved. Who was that person? What happened to them? Right. And it, it's it, sort of like, like if Amy Bender and Sarah Levine wrote a crime novel together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's, it takes place in the real world, but it's, it's altered like half a step uh, to one side. Um, and, and that's sort of the Sarah Levine part, I think, that, makes, that made Treasure Island challenging is that the main character in Treasure Island, she's a horrible human being. She's just one of the worst <laughs> people on Earth. You know, she kills her parrot. Um, and spoiler I mean, alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry if you're going to buy the book, she kills the parrot. Um, not a great sister. Um, but in this book also, you know, the, the protagonist is a, is a pretty difficult human being um, and a troubled human being. And we start, I, I think it, at first it's hard to relate to her because she's, you know, she's eating shit in her drawers. <laughs> not eating <laughs> shit. Well, not shit. Eating stuff. Stuff. Things, objects. Things, objects in her drawers. Um, 
you know, she's had has this weird relationship with her dad. Her mom's a gypsy. Her brother's gone missing, and her ex-boyfriend Mitch, who's a psychologist, moves in across the hall from her. It, it's just a very odd life that she has. But then you find out that she's just trying to place order into the madness, and you start to really empathize with her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. What I like about this, and I think what people might resist about it, as they do with Treasure Island, is there's not a lot of books, well, it's generalizing, but it's a very unsentimental portrayal of a young woman. So I just want to read a paragraph and a half um, so you guys can hear what we're talking about. Um, Something that seems like it will start out very sentimental and then turns, takes a turn. Chapter two. On my father's dashboard was a plastic hula girl whose hips gyrated with the movements of the car. Boris had stuck her up there in obligation to my mother, who had put her in his Christmas stocking two years ago. Now as I sat in the parked car alone, I peeled up the suction cup and brought the woman in for a closer inspection. She reminded me a little of my mother herself in her younger years, with ballooning hips and deep copper skin. I blew some dust off her face. Sorry, I told her, and put her head in my mouth. (laughs) This was something I had been desperate to do for a long time, and with guilty relish, I crushed the morsel between my teeth and chewed fiercely for several seconds. Beneath the soft malleability, I could feel the solid resistance of the plastic core, and I squeezed my jaw tight against it for pure pleasure. So you got her parents, her her mom, Christmas stocking, whatever, she's eating it. I mean, I think that is something that is going to freak people out and is also awesome. Yes. I had a hard time with that. Like, the whole Pika thing for me was so uninteresting. If, in, in a way that, like, with Motherless Brooklyn was not. Like, mother, I mean, with Motherless Brooklyn, it was seamlessly integrated to me. It was such a part. Of, I don't think that the Pika aspect of this book pays off in any real way. I think she's a great writer, but I think it's a gimmick. And I think it's way cooler in concept than in execution. And it's actually, you know, it's kind of hard to read about somebody eating something that's not supposed to be eaten mm-hmm. or that's, you know, going to poison them. And so it's, it's, it's like you're being tortured and I wish it would pay off. Like mm-hmm. I wish that, oh, because of her essential pica eaterness, she was able to solve this mystery or accomplish something in the way that Motherless Brooklyn, the fact Motherless Brooklyn is a, a narrator who has Tourette's, and the, his Tourette's becomes almost empowering throughout the, the course of the mystery. It, it becomes such a part of, of how he solves the mystery and who he is. And I just felt like after page 30, it didn't matter that she ate stuff. And it never, and then it kind of started to feel like really cool intellectual idea, like, oh, I've been eating horror novels. You know, and she th- talks about when she was, uh, and I'm like, that's kind of cool. She's like, I'd absorb the characters. And like, do you really think like that if you have this disorder or do you just compulsively eat crap? Like, or is it just like something you're not intellectualizing or romanticizing to have the character romanticizing her own, you know, mental disorder. I was just a little like, uh, I'm uncomfortable with this because either I buy into the romance, in which case I'm like, this is a cool disorder, which is just kind of horrible. Mm. Or I'm, you know, not believing it, which I ended up kind of not believing I it. I think she she romanticizes the disorder because she's not ashamed of it. She mm-hmm. she likes her disorder, you know? Oh, I see. I think that's the thing. is It's it's different if it's an affliction that so she's trying to... So you did think it was kind of cool, like, yeah. in the sense that you liked her more because she embraced that this I, was a part I liked of that her. she embraced it, and I liked also that it's not the thing that is solved. That if she solved that at the end of the book in a really clear-cut way that fed into the mystery, we'd be like, oh, so she had to 
eat the pliers to get the secret message. You'd be like, oh, no, that's horrible. Um, I, it, <laughs> that would have been too much. That would have been too but, much. But don't you feel, this is a question I wanted to ask you, Todd, because you write mysteries mm-hmm. and you've read a lot of them. Don't you feel like that that the, the, the mystery that somebody's investigating, because this book is very suspenseful. I was mm-hmm. enthralled. Like, I could not put it down. Um, so the, on one level, it completely succeeds in that mystery sense of, like, I need to know what happened. I have questions I need answered. But then on this other level of mystery, I feel like mysteries kind of have to relate to something larger or relate to uh, some sort of burning, either a personal question for the, the character or... And in this case, I... It all kind no. of now. I mean, there and and Mark is familiar with these books as well. I'm sure, but we can go find one on the on the shelf where there's a caterer and a dead body shows up at every event that she does, and then she solves the crime. That's and actually a book. Yeah. There's, there's a series of there's books. A series yeah. of really? books. Yeah. And it doesn't change the way she makes crumpets. You know, it. She just she's just an amateur detective, which is essentially what. Does she have a sense of like justice? She's doing this to solve. A crime She's doing it in the name of because mysteries need to be solved. Right. So I think if I can jump in here, and I am not a mystery expert or writer, but to me the challenge of mystery is, or at least I mean I love reading mysteries; they're awesome because they're so page turning. Um, but the challenge of mystery is mood, and how do you create a new mood with a mystery? I mean, like we all know what certain types of mysteries feel like, whether it's a cat mystery or. You know, cat mystery Todd's feels like the the biggest regret of your life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> cat mystery feels like everything is wrong. But you guys know what I mean. There's the there's cozy you. mysteries. There's uh, mysteries that use incredible language or incredible dialogue. And I feel like the strength of this book is that, you know, having her eat all these things gives a literal new texture to the world. Mm-hmm. That you're you're like so distracted by what styrofoam feels like in your mouth that you know, it's giving this weird mood that I really, that I really liked. And that's what made it feel fresh to me rather than I'm a, I'm a 27 year old girl and I want to find out my family's history. I mean, like we've all read that book 20 times, but having her just live in, to really have you think about a sensory experience in a new way is a huge achievement for a book. And it's also sort of an atavistic thing that I think you don't see in crime novels where she's, I mean, she's shoving this stuff in her mouth. She's eating the world around her, um, which I, you know. At least tasting it. Tasting (laughs) it, at the very least, licking it. I mean, you've got a child now, so you know that everything in the world he puts into his mouth. Um, And, you know, I think that's that's an interesting tack for sort of an amateur sleuth to take in a book like this. But she's also terribly fucked up. Yeah, I mean, I think that the thing that, I don't think it's a gimmick so much because one of the mysteries she's trying to solve is why am I so fucked up? Right. And she tr- right. and you know she goes for this and it's all set up to have that classic like mom look what you made me do <laughs> you know and then and they have that moment and then she's still fucked up. I mean right. it doesn't she's not cured miraculously. There's no like sort of Hollywood ending to it even to the mystery it's the other mystery she's trying to solve too and so for me that was really like satisfying on this way like oh yeah we need more books like this mm-hmm. that are kind of real mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. don't end up, don't all wrap up so neatly um. and it's funny too i mean i, I we i think we're we're not mentioning it, it's absurd i mean it's it's right. a, a completely absurd novel and, and in the best way you know the the weatherman for instance you know he's just as you would expect he doesn't wear pants frequently enough 
you know, the the world is crumbling around him and she's his assistant. I mean, it, it, it's a series of things that you can't imagine in the real world unless, you know, you work in TV news and then you find out, of course, that Dallas Reigns does not, in fact, wear pants. <laughs> or Johnny Mountain. Johnny Mountain's known not to wear pants. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's, that's true at all. That's how I got his name. <laughs> Um, the other thing I think that is interesting about the book, Mark, is that it's, and, and your selection of it, is you, you've always, as I mentioned before, write about subcultures, and this is a book entirely about subcultures. Yeah. Is that, was that part of the appeal for you? Well, no, because I picked it before I'd read it. Mm. So I just had read about it and thought, oh, okay, let's take a flyer on this one. Let's the see. gypsy subculture stuff is awesome. <laughs> it is so cool. Gypsies? Yeah. Who knew? Yeah, it's a really fascinating... Yeah. Uh, that's that, It was really the second chapter that sort of dives mm. into the family history. And I was like, oh, I'm so on board with this because I've never heard of anything like this. And it's really well-researched and, and I, I'm assuming accurately portrayed. The bit about the tramps and the thieves I thought was surprising. Three people laugh. So there's a song by <laughs> Cher. Obligatory laugh called Gypsies, Tramps, and Thieves. We're going to sing along now. No, we're, we're not. not. Gypsies, Tramps. I don't, I don't know. All right. I think it's time to uh, move to <laughs> yeah. a Q&A. Yeah. yeah. So um, thank, thank you, Mark, Mark so much. Yes. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. For the long fire. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you also for writing a great book about being nude naked at lunch. Mark will be signing books in about uh, three minutes. Yeah. Uh, we are happy to entertain any questions you might have briefly. Yeah, so we want to give you guys five to ten minutes, depending on if you guys have questions for us. We never and get to meet people. And for and Mark also. And for Mark also. Yeah, Mark, stay on up here. Um, so I think, what Greg, what would be easiest for this? Should they come up? Yeah. This is Greg, Chip everybody. Chip. Oh, hello, everybody. Yeah, uh, so you guys always hear, if you listen to the show, you hear about our spouses, but you never see them. That's Greg. That's, that's Julia's husband. My lovely wife is somewhere back there hiding. There she, there she is. That's my lovely wife, Wendy. <laughs> Ryder's lovely wife, Alex, is around here somewhere. Where's lovely wife, Alex? They, they all don't know what we do for hours at a time <laughs> locked in a room. It's this. We apologize. Well, they only hear one-third of the conversation. Yeah. That's the uh, Yeah. It's Alex me. is like, I listen to the show. I'm like, you listen to my side of the show. <laughs> Alex listens third. to a very angry show. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just that bad. All I know is you hate YA. And Todd. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, does if anyone does anyone have a question? If you have a question, just we raise your hand. We should have given you some time. Or you can just Anything stare at us at blankly. All. We're happy to. We're happy to take. Should we any close our eyes and count to twenty-five? <laughs> <laughs> Anything? It, yes, okay. ma'am. Yes. Come on up. You are a super reader. Yes. Come on up so that we can play your question on the show. Yes. So this will be this episode. Incidentally, will air in uh, two weeks. Yep. Go for it. My question is actually from Mark. Great. Yes. So, um, I, and maybe this won't be the best put together question, but I'm just thinking about the level of vulnerability it takes to be physically naked in front of people all the time. And you were talking about um, the commonalities between news, whether there are any, aren't any. I'm wondering if they, if that shifts, that, that physical vulnerability shifts into emotional vulnerability at all. Like, do they... Are they more open? Yeah, uh, I mean, that's a great question. I mean, one of the, the things that nudists will say is that, you know, when we have our clothes on, we are, present ourselves as a certain way, a certain, like, income, a certain style, a certain status. And when everyone's naked, then we're all kind of equal, and then they, they, it, it, it's de-alienating. 
it like mm. it makes people closer it makes people friendlier and and yeah you, you do get more emotionally like a, you know attached or you're more open I guess is the thing did it change anything for you post this whole journey yeah you know um like you know I th always think of myself as a fairly non-judgmental person I'm really tolerant I you know I'm a your average NPR listener <laughs> and um, <laughs> and but going to these places challenged me on all those levels so I I uh I came through it uh, even more tolerant and even less judgmental. So it kind of opened my mind a lot. And I thought I was a pretty open-minded person. So. so that was good for me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Great question. Who's next? I other saw questions. another hand. Yes, coming up. Okay, so this is kind of a, a question of, you mentioned The Host by Stephanie Meyer. And I have a kind of a pitch of why you should do it on the show. As okay. A okay. Episode. Lean into the mic. Oh, a comparison episode because you did a book that was very similar. Do you know the plot of the host? I don't. It's about an alien race that comes and infects brains. Oh. And there are humans. Oh. Animorphs. The dreaded animorphs. So it only makes sense as a logical progression that you then mm. read the host and compare your hatred of the two. I feel the logical progression of Animorphs is for us to read Animorphs too because <laughs> Animor Tobias is a hawk now. I don't know if... So we read Animorphs, which is a children's book, apparently, and... Um, it's, it's one of the worst things I've ever experienced as a man, uh, just as an American, <laughs> just in general. It says that, and yet so many people read these books. We, like, the, you the, are alienating, like, anybody who grew up in the 90s. Apparently. I had never read these either, but... There, there was some... Someone got on our Facebook and left a response to our episode Very that was long. longer than our episode. <laughs> yeah. Where he broke... He went point by point yeah. through Animorphs and, like... About dismantled why really our good. opinion. You know what I, uh, thank you for your question. That was, I mean, I, I always, we always like hearing what people want us to read. Um, but you, you but want it makes us me to read it because you want to hurt us. Okay. <laughs> well, it does make me think, putting aside aliens, um, I have a really hard time with, well, I have a neighbor who's like really afraid of aliens, so I hear a lot about it. What? Yeah. <laughs> right, Greg? By, by neighbor, oh, you yeah. mean husband? No. No. We have a guy who, we call him the neighbro. He's a bro. He lives below us. And he likes to come up to our apartment and, like, show his friends our apartment because it's really nice. And it's like he's selling it. And he will often be like, I'm not afraid of anything. If a guy came and, like, held a gun to my head, I'd be like, whatever, man. But aliens? That scares the shit out of me. So I've heard a lot about aliens from the neighbro. He's, also, he's really nice, but he's really afraid of aliens. Putting aside aliens, though, I do think there are a lot of amazing books about um, kids and animals and their connections. So, um, for example, The Golden Compass. You know, like, why read Animorphs when you can read The Golden Compass, which is a series based on um, Paradise Lost, a YA book based on Paradise Lost about um, animals, you know, kids having an animal form outside their body that, like, represents their inner emotions. And books like that are done so well that it like hurts to see animals treated lightly. I mean, like, as you guys know, I'm a horse girl. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, I love animals, and I I love books about children and human connections with animals. So maybe I should read The Host. Yeah, you have a good time with that. I will. I'm willing to. I've never read any of the Twilight books, so I missed that whole. So if we were gonna do. Have you read the Twilight no, books? No, I haven't read the Twilight books. Guys, draw up your baths. Uh, someone in my house has read the Twilight books because we have a whole shelf of them. <laughs> All right. Do you guys have any more questions? Anything else we can answer for you? 
Oh, we have oh a excellent. Here. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. It has nothing to do with what has been going on tonight. Well, in a way, I'm just curious, uh, Mark, what's your next book going to be about? Have you thought about it? Uh, uh, no, I don't have no idea what I'm going to do next. So, no, seriously, I, I, I have no idea. I love your own characters. I miss them. You create some great characters in your other books. Oh, well, well thanks. I'll, I'll probably write another novel one of these days. Yeah, of course. Why not? Okay. What the heck? <laughs> All right. uh, and Todd, what's happening next? Oh, uh, I know you have things in the works. I, uh, I have a book that uh, I just finished, a secret project that I wrote with somebody else. That will be announced shortly, and that will be out next summer at this time. And then, um, thank God my editor isn't here, but I have the sequel to my book, Gangsterland, will be coming out in fall uh, 2017. And as soon as I start writing it, I feel really confident that it's going to be a good book. <laughs> and I should note, by the way, um, since this will be on the air, thank you so much to our friends at Counterpoint Press who gave us the free books tonight. And thanks to everyone here at the last bookstore for hosting yes, us tonight. Yes, thank you. This amazing so bookstore. What an what a awesome space to come and talk about books. Um, it's been wonderful. And thanks to the good people at Unnamed Press who sent us The Long Fire by Megan Tift. And Mark's Fine Folks at Grove Books who sent us copies of Naked at Lunch also, um, which uh, is a fantastic book. And thank you all for coming tonight. This has been a fantastic yeah. evening. We thank really appreciate it. Please buy some books. Mark and I will sign them. Come up and, uh, and chat with us. We'd love to meet with you guys. Thank, thank you, guys. Thank you.